First on film and entertainment, what a week it has been. Now, I am genuinely excited about what this country has gone through over the last month or so with the Women's World Cup. I mean, it's just, it, the numbers are simply extraordinary. The numbers of people who I would not have thought will be glued to their television screens, they'll be going to live sites, pubs and clubs, by various estimates, you know, we're talking about more than half the population watching. Did you ever imagine, Jackie, that we would see something like this? I mean, it's grown out of virtually nowhere. Well, why not? Barbie started the trend and off we go. Well, I'm not sure whether Barbie started the trend. Women rule, Alex. Women well, rule. no, no, I, I, don't question, I don't question that women rule, but in terms of your <laughs> interest, in terms of, okay, you're somebody who loves sport in terms of participation. Did you know or did you care about the Matildas a great deal before the World Cup? Serious question. Uh, not at all, but what I do love is the energy it's brought to the country and the excitement and the coming together, and I think that's terrific. So I don't really care what sport it's about, but I just love the result it's had. Mm, and in terms of the investment in the sport, uh, and I don't want to play politics here, but I, I want to sort of put on a little bit of a cynical hat. You know, the $200 million that is now going to be invested in women's sport, which is terrific. Had it not been the success that it has been, do you think that would have been forthcoming? Oh, well, I mean, who's to know? Who's to know what would have been? But I just think it's a crying shame that it, you know, it doesn't come out of a whole idea of fairness and um, you know, between between genders, it it has to come from one particular success. You know, it's a, it, you get success from investment. So yeah. they have done it twenty years ago. That I mean, in terms of momentum, this is terrific because it's. I mean, I suppose the next massive sporting event is going to be the Olympic Games. So well, it might be the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> no, it won't. What, what what that's cost us? What three hundred and was it three eighty million dollars? Not mm. not good. Great King. You are somebody who goes to the football a great deal. And I spoke to, dare I say, Carlton mates. I'm not sure that they're mates who were at the game against Melbourne. And they said, well, basically that people were turning their backs on the football just to watch the soccer. How do you feel about the momentum, the build-up, the, the intrigue, the excitement that surrounded the Matildas? Well, to tell you the truth, Alex, I haven't watched any of it. Now, tell me why. Because uh, it has been... Huge. It's been humongous. Bigger than any football match. I mean, AFL football match. So why why no interest, Greg? Oh, well, well, I was at the football one night when it was on. I was at MIF one night when it was on. Um, I just haven't been... Fair well, enough. Well, Peter Krause, do you actually know what soccer means? Do you, do you have an understanding of that word? <laughs> no, I'll pass that through to the keeper. But... Uh... <laughs> But, I mean, it's great to see that it's, uh, you know, galvanised the nation and everyone's excited and women's sport is getting attention, but uh, it doesn't particularly interest me. Right. Okay. So, Jackie, this is a divided audience. Did you watch any of the games live, Jackie? Did I? No, not at all. No. Oh, my God. It's sport, Alex. I don't watch sport. Folks, just, (laughs) these are heathens that I have. This is Don Film and Entertainment. We're here to watch film, Alex, you not soccer. <laughs> I'm sorry. If if this has not been entertaining, I don't know what has been. Uh, I've got to excuse for for anybody listening. Ignore the uh, 
They, they, Anybody they... listening who was entertained by the women's soccer has been entertained by it, by the stage. And now we're talking about film. Good things are worth talking about, like the 16 Essendon Premiership, Jacqueline Abaddon. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, that, since time immemorial, did you realise at the Palais Theatre, I think it's on Thursday night, there is a coming together, and Greg, I, I hope that you know about this, there's a coming together of the 50, it's the 50 year anniversary of the the one and only premiership that St Kilda won, isn't it? Uh, no. I know about this. I, sorry, this was on television on Friday night, and uh, they, they 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 were interviewing some of the stalwarts like Ross Smith and whatever. It, there's a there's a film about this that is seriously that's been put together. I don't actually think it's a film. I think it's 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 a a, a re uh, imagine not a reimagining. It's a reworking of the actual grand final that will be replayed in the name of charity, and it's got the AFL sanction. Now there you go, that's entertaining. And and at at there at that event, and I may have got this totally wrong, but that's my recollection of having seen the TV story. At that event, you're going to have the stalwarts of that win. You know, the one and only one point win against Collingwood. So you should be going to that, Greg. Uh, I think you're right. Okay. Sorry? I think you've got to pay a fortune to go to that. 50 bucks. That's a fortune. Yeah, but it's to charity. Well, hang on. You pay $1,000 to go and see the, the boss. So it's a... yeah, but that's the boss. And that was in New York and that was a one-off um, sort of thing. Hang on. Hang on. Your one premiership was a one-off too. Ah, <laughs> uh, correct. True, but... Thank you. You've got, to put, you've got to get your priorities right, Alex. You know, the boss comes first, second and third. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you excited about Mr. McCartney going out to see you personally? No. You don't, you not, don't like I'm, Paul McCartney? I'm what? Big, I'm not a big fan of Paul McCartney, no. I'm, 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 I'm saving my money for when Bruce Springsteen comes out next year. Ah, uh, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 Jackie, do you, do you like Paul McCartney? Do you know? Look, I do, but I'm not... Yeah, I'm not sort of jumping to go to this one. I'm, I'm a bit concerned about whether he's got, his voice has still got it. Well, the only way to tell is to go along. Oh, pay a, pay a lot of money to go along and find yeah. out. And then, well, what, I, don't know you, you know. I don't know whether you can buy tickets anymore. And Peter, you, you've probably never been to a concert in your life. Uh, is that mate, did you did you play accordion when you were a kid or something? <laughs> no, it was actually the clavichord and Mozart and I got on really well. <laughs> you, you didn't blow him off the stage like... um. Um, Chevalier. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I could imagine you in a clavichord. Um, you know, I, I just, it just, uh, uh, okay. Now look, I think it's time to speak uh, about some movies. Uh, so we, you're on JL listening to this drivel and I wanted to start with a movie that we didn't get to last week that, um, oh, it could have been very, very ordinary, but it turned out to be anything but called Gran Turismo and it's a long film, two hours and 14 minutes, M-rated. And we've we got to go back a quarter of a century. And that's when Kazunori Yamuchi, and I probably mangled his name, but uh, something like that, Kazunori Yamuchi created the world's most accurate car racing simulation game. And that was called Gran Turismo. And Yamuchi and his team had spent five years getting it right, perfecting it. So... Video gamers, well, they became obsessed. One day, a, a UK marketing executive for Nissan, whose name was Danny Moore, played by Orlando Bloom, had this crazy 
rather revolutionary idea. And he put this idea to the higher-ups at Nissan, and it basically was along the lines that the company could receive a significant public relations boost if a gamer, somebody playing Gran Turismo, could transfer his skills to the Mark's real racing cars. In other words, real the real Nissan racing team. Surprisingly, and, and it, it is surprising, the execs bought the idea. So more than sort of thought, okay, well, what do we do? Well, let's have a contest to choose the best Gran Turismo player in the world. I'm talking about the video game. And the top 10 gamers were selected from a series of live online events. Then they were taught by this grizzled engineer, former driver called Jack Salter, played by David Harbour, to drive real racing cars. And they were pitted against each other. The 10 whittled down to five. Then a single race determined who would be the chosen one from those. He turned out to be a tall, quietly spoken, but determined British racing car simulation aficionado by the name of Jan Mardenborough, played by Archie Medique. His father, Steve, played by Jimon Hunso, had been a soccer champion. And Jan's younger brother, Kobe, played by Daniel Poog, also took up the round ball game after his dad. But his dad was forever on Jan's case to play footy as well, urging him to put his time and effort into something that he considered to be meaningful, he being the father, rather than just playing video games. But Jan was not into the ball sport, and he did not relent. Still, his road to becoming the one selected to race, for real, was far from easy. That was nothing compared to what he encountered when he took to the track against seasoned drivers. So it was chosen by Nissan, fine, step into the Nissan racing car, but then competing against drivers had been doing this for years and years and years and had established themselves on the real racing track. So, of course, he had to have his wits about him. This is Jan, and he had to learn fast. That was, a, I suppose that was always a given. More than that, though, he faced significant prejudice from, from drivers, one in particular called Nicholas Kappa, played by Joshua Stradowski. Now, Kappa and the others were against any simulation driver encroaching on a big boy's sport. So this is a movie based on a true story, which I reckon makes it all the more compelling. And despite what... The ending's never in doubt, right? It quickly becomes clear what'll happen. It's still pretty exciting. The film was written by Jason Hall and Zach Bale, and it throws up plenty of obstacles and challenges, and I suppose the premise really is backs to the wall. The director's the bloke who did uh, District 9 all those years ago, Neil Blomkamp, South African, ensures there's no shortage of adrenaline-pumping action throughout. And of course, it's the characters, the heroes and the villains that bring this story to life. Arguably, the most interesting of those is Jack Salter. He's a man whose career was cut short, but we, we really don't know why until a significant way into the movie, and we're not about to tell you on this program. And I reckon David Harbour really balances that push and pull required of the persona pretty well, very well, actually. So Orlando Bloom, unbridled enthusiasm with much to lose. That's his default position as the marketing guru for Nissan. Archie Mariqui, I, I thought he was really likable and more often not contained as Jan Mardenborough. Uh, he's not that sort of effusive character. Uh, and the filmmakers have done a pretty good job with the visual effects, a really great job, actually, specifically by overlaying the simulated video game with what I'll call skeletons of race cars. And I thought the sound, the music, the production design and the cinematography all came together really nicely and produced 
produced what I reckon's a pulsating ride. The other thing is Jerry Halliwell, or Jerry, Jerry Halliwell Horner, as she's now known of Spice Girls fame, is um, Jan's mum in Gran Turismo. So that's my take on it. Um, what what about you, Greg? Did you like it? Uh, ring, 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 all of that? Yeah, I didn't mind this. I thought it was quite a good underdog story there. Um, it follows the tropes of this um, the formula pretty well. Um, and the writers have obviously taken some liberties with the facts for dramatic purposes and then taken some events either out of context or out of order just to spice up the drama there. Um, but it does follow the challenges that Yarn faced, how he coped with the overt prejudice from the rival drivers, um, and even put up with the um, disdain that he wasn't media friendly or media savvy. And that. But it all reaches a climax during the famous Le Mans 24-hour race. And even though it's a little bit predictable here, I thought that didn't dilute the excitement or the enjoyment to be had from the story. Um, I, I thought Neil Blomkamp directed this in quite muscular fashion. Um, and the adrenaline-charged race sequences, I thought they were quite well handled there. Um, and I liked Archie Madwetti as um, Jan Munbra. I thought he um, brought conviction to his slightly awkward character, but he gave him a vulnerability as well um, when he's consumed by doubts and uncertainties. He's an unlikable and endearing protagonist. I thought Bloom was a little bit untruous as more there, um, but I really liked David Harbour. I thought he was really good um, in his role there. He was probably the best thing in the film there, um, and he elevated the character above um, becoming a, a cliche. As a solid car racing movie, I still think I preferred Ford, Ford versus Ferrari, though, which was a much more compelling and entertaining film. But no, I certainly enjoyed this, Alex. Yeah, I, I agree, and I said the same thing about David Harbour. Uh, Peter, you agree that uh, he was a pretty good thing in this movie? Not, not at all. Uh, I found this... Like David Harbour. Is that because you don't like sport? You don't like life as it really exists with sport at its centerpiece? Uh, don't rush into comments like that. <laughs> uh, look, uh, this uh, film is a two and a quarter hour excuse for product placement. And I just got tired uh, of the film after I saw a hundred Nissan advertising signs, PlayStation and all the other um, uh, hey, advertisers. Hey, hey, hey. Did, you like, did you like Barbie? Talk about product placement. Did you, I mean, and, and the Lego movie? I mean, what are we talking about here? This is modern cinema. They were done as satire and they were done in a clever sort of way. This is a film that is purely promotional vehicle for Nissan and for PlayStation and for other providers. And I just got so tired of this attempt to replicate Formula One racing, the underdog hero, the... Uh, uh, when something happens, will it recover? All that sort of cliche city, which uh, this film is part of. And I must say, Neil Blomkamp, who is such a good director, I, li I really like District 9. He has obviously sold his soul to the devil uh, to, ma to, to, to make this Nissan tell, tell us advertising what movie. Please tell us what you really think. <laughs> All right. All right. I won't hold back. Uh, no, this is a, a product placement movie. Uh, which doesn't deserve the two and a quarter hour treatment, and I just got tired of it, and and I just dismissed it as nothing more than advertising. Oh no! Okay, well we're tired of you now, mate. So let's go on. No, I'm just kidding, Peter. Stay there, stay there. Uh, Jacqueline, are you into room room? You you used to review cars, didn't you, or something? Oh that, no, no, that was a very brief. It wasn't anything to do with racing cars or to do with film, Alex. 
And I just have to say that, that, I think, that your dark past. Yeah, yeah. And I think Peter's been um, sneaking a look at my notes because he said a lot of what I felt about this film, which starts off with it does not need two and a quarter hours um, at all. In fact, that is far too long for this film. And in the end, it, to me, it's, I mean, car racing really is not at all in my area of interest. Although, as you mentioned, Ford versus Ferrari back in 2019, I loved that film. So it was the way it was handled that made this, uh, um, uh, it didn't give me any pleasure at all. It was um, full of that testosterone, cliched dialogue, that argy-bargy kind of put-on macho stuff. Um, and even though it might have been based on a true story, it's very hard to keep the level of tension up when you probably know what the ending's going to be, don't you? Um, yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a film. Um, and I think that the way they tried to keep that adrenaline going through the film was with the use of um, hyped-up music or hyper-music and, um, you know, um, the the fast, fast footage. Well, actually, the film work I thought was very good. And I also liked uh, what you mentioned, Alex, that uh, layover of the of the um, mm. graphics over. I just thought that was visually, um, you know, kind of broke up this, well, rather boring um, <laughs> cars and men's faces kind of setup. Um, another thing that kept crossing my mind was, you know, this is so out of sync with what we're trying to do for our environment and for the planet to, you know, have these gas guzzling fueled up um, for the sake of, you know, the danger, the danger of it and the things. I mean, to me, I know this is a personal thing, but does that balance, uh, you know, for entertainment, whether you're seeing it there live yeah, or whether you're watching a movie about it? Well, I, I mean, okay, I understand the point, and I, you know that's laudable. But does that mean that car racing no longer exists, or we're not yep. allowed to talk about it, or yep, get rid of it? Yep. Yeah, but it can I mean, go the way of the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think you're going to get uh, overwhelming. Oh, is at this point maybe down the track? Okay, that's fine. I'm just saying it. That was crossed my mind as I'm seeing these gas guzzlers racing round and round and round with petrol, whatever, going round, round, round. round. I'm just thinking of what it's doing to the environment. And in the end, it's a story about, based on a true story about people, um, one in particular, and I just didn't really care about them in the end. It, the story just didn't really matter to me and, you know, kind of, meh, it's not going to change the world. So I didn't love it at all. So After, after the film, I went and had, had a look up the um, story, the true story of this, just to find out more about the guy, Jan Munro, and what happened there. Um, and I was interested to read that he, the real-life Jan Munro, actually did the stunt driving for his character in the film. There you go. See, I, and I, I also looked him up, so I don't... Well, that was that was at the end of the film. It showed that. It showed... Um, it, it actually put that on the screen. Yeah, but I want to find out And it showed... In the story. It yeah. showed the character alongside the real yeah. person, and there was a lot of... It. A lot of extraordinary similarity. Well, at least one could say they worked hard to get a similarity in the uh, looks there, mm. department there. It was very good. I like seeing that at the end of films when they sort of match up the uh, the real life with the characters. Yeah. yeah. 
So look, I, yeah, and I looked, I looked up, uh, he, I looked him up as well, and therefore, so this is really divisive. And uh, Greg will dismiss the other two's opinions as being incorrect. Very simple. When we move on, what is a score out of ten from you, Greg? Seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. I'm giving seven, seven and a half exactly. Uh, you're going to fail it, Peter. Absolutely. Product placement galore. Sick of it. Three out of ten. Oh my golly! Oh, us. Well, that is very. I, I think this is a dagger to the chest of this movie. Uh, such a, an illustrious reviewer like your good self. What a. What, uh, did you get out, out of the wrong side of bed this morning or something? Did you, Peter? What, what's going on here? <laughs> hey, uh, get off. I'm still in bed. Yeah, we are. Jackie, we're not. We, you're not going to be that harsh, are you? No, no. I'm. I'm judging it as as a film that you know will appeal to um, some Pen- audience Pen- and and gay. Yeah. That's right, Pedro. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's not me. But I'm judging it as a fairly well-made film. It it had a big budget look and um, some fancy camera work. Uh, the fact that I didn't really enjoy it and it was far too long, I gave it barely a six. Just scraped. Oh, okay. There we go. There we go. All right. So we Gran Turismo. Yes, indeed. You are on Jair eighty eight FM, and you're listening to Jackie Hamilton, to Peter Krause, to Greg King, and to me. Alex first. Well, I just finally say, Alex, that I wasn't really conscious of the running time of this film either. I quite thought it worked for, didn't worry me. Yeah, and it didn't worry me either. And I usually do worry about these things. So yeah, that's my thought. Yeah. Well, you probably, you boys probably enjoyed seeing the cars going round and round and round and round and round and round. Well, no, I, I can't say. Whereas, no, I can't say. Yeah, I'm a real, you know, I, I some racing, car racing I watch, but I, I can't say I'm a real aficionado. I just, I, yeah, I, I just, I think Greg and I agree that the the strength of the engineer in this film was very very strong and and it was his story as well as Jan's story and I thought that that carried it simple as that. So all right, one thing that uh, you should be doing is potentially if you are interested in supporting us as radio station eighty eight FM, yeah, why don't you fork out fifty four bucks a year? That means that you become a member of the community radio station that we are and we need your support to continue doing what we're doing. So, please, lots of music, lots of entertainment, lots of programming of different sorts that hopefully satisfy various age groups. That is 88FM Air. We are now going to talk about dogs. Now, uh, I should start by saying that my wife uh, has often said to me that there's nobody more important in her life than our dog. And uh, she... Fair enough. She said it to me this morning, Jackie. This morning. Right? So... In, in other words, so for example, I'll give you a concrete example of this. Last Yesterday, I went out in my motor car and Nadine rings me and asks me, uh, did I check up the, on the dog before I left? I said, no, the dog will be fine. The dog's upstairs. Oh, no. Well, no, I want you to go back just to double check that the dog hasn't gone out. So I had to drive back home just to make sure that the pooch was okay because that's the most important thing in our life. You'd do the same thing, wouldn't you? I think it says more about your wife than it does about your dog. <laughs> no, look, my my wife's delightful, and she our dog's delightful, and it's a um all the all the neighbours know our dog. Uh, there's a three year old neighbour of ours, or the child of a a neighbour of ours, who calls our dog Fluffball, because uh, it, it is it is a very very hairy animal with uh, that encourages pets from young youngsters and my wife can't actually take the dog for a walk because the dog just stops and is patted 
all the way. Now you've got a different sort of dog that gets taken for a walk. At, la at last count, it was seven times a day, isn't it, Jackie? Oh, at, at least, Alex. And um, and get I thinking about get this film that you're going to talk about. I really can't see Chloe in this or my dog Bob. I don't think that they would be in this setup, would they? But hang on, hang on. Bob gets grumpy if 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 he's not walked. Correct. He gets he gets narky. And the dog's about oh, seventy. The dog's about three hundred and seventy-five years old, isn't it, Bob? Yeah, roughly. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So. There we go. Well, we're talking about this because strays. Now, you know, I, I'm actually a big advocate for uh, if we, our dog was picked up from a shelter. I'm not sure about yours, Jackie, but I'm a big rat yes. for that. Yes, RSPCA. Yeah, good stuff. I, I think if you can do that, uh, the, the last thing that these animals deserve is, deserve is to be put down through no fault of their own. And uh, if, if you've got an inclination to have a pet, why don't you start there? Now, Strays is 93 minutes and it's rated MA. It's rated R in various jurisdictions. Why? Because it's rude, crude, and at times funny. And I reckon it's a bit of a hit and miss proposition. Some of the physical comedy lands, some does not. In between sight gags, I thought there were flat patches and the transitions between scenes, well, not always seamless. It's almost like uh, situation comedy, then let's have another situation comedy and let, let's have a third one. Reggie, voiced by Will Ferrell, is a mutt with a dirt bag of an owner. That dirt bag of an owner is called Doug. It's a role filled by Will Fort. And he treats his dog, a border terrier, very, very poorly indeed. Reggie, though, mistakenly believes that his good-for-nothing, bong-addicted layabout master actually cares for him, when nothing could be further from the truth. And in fact, Doug repeatedly tries to dump Reggie, but no matter how far Doug drives, the dog always manages to find a way back, much to Doug's anger, infuriation. So the only thing for Doug to do is to transport Reggie even further, ultimately three hours away. That's where Reggie meets other strays and befriends a fast-talking, foul-mouthed Boston Terrier named Bug, played by the voice of Jamie Foxx. And you know it's Jamie Foxx the moment he opens his mouth. But there you go. The pair starts hanging out together along with Bugs' pals. And those pals, Maggie, Isla Fisher, whip-smart Australian shepherd with the best nose in the business, who's sidelined by her owner's cute new puppy. And there's Hunter, Randall Park, an anxious Great Dane, who failed as a police dog and now works as an emotional support animal for the elderly. And around his head is this plastic cone I did Google this afterwards. It's known as an Elizabethan collar, which prevents him from scratching. Now, Maggie, this beautiful, whip-smart Australian shepherd, cares for Hunter, and Hunter cares for her. But so far, neither has acted upon their reciprocal feelings. Truth be told, despite his new friend's strong advice to ditch his owner, Doug, forever, Reggie still harbours a strong desire to reunite with his low-life owner. And a road trip ensues with plenty of bumps along the way. So, Dan Apero has crafted what I'd call a subversive comedy, which is directed by Josh Greenbaum. I reckon it's got most appeal to young, adult, mostly males, right? Young adults, mostly, you know, probably under 40s. And all the dogs talk, even if humans can't actually understand what they're saying. The, the filmmakers here have totally abandoned the idea 
of less is more. Copious sexual references, innuendos, exclamations are rooted to this production, pun fully intended. And apart from the frequent use of the F word, there are, pardon the word, dick jokes aplenty, while dog defecation is another mainstay. The Undoubtedly the nicest character in the piece is Maggie, and I tell you something, Isla Fisher's Aussie accent certainly stands out. Jamie Foxx treats us to plenty of jive talking. Will Ferrell paints Reggie as loyal and conflicted. Randall Park exposes Hunter's vulnerabilities. And Josh Gad is a winner, I reckon, in a small role as Gus, this Labrador retriever who narrates his owner's life. Look, Strays, it sets out the shock. And it, it does achieve that, certainly does. But for all its moments, I wanted and expected more. What I needed to see was a greater bucket of laughs. And I found the film was uneven in its plotting, and that was disappointing. So the idea was sound, the execution only mediocre. What did you think, Peter? Well, I, I must say a bucket of something is quite a, a good way of describing this film. It's uh, uh, I, I found this an incredibly putrid attempt at uh, at uh, scatological humour and of shocking the audience as much as possible. I mean, I think, uh, you know, these talking dog uh, ideas are not bad and could have been crafted into a, a good satire, into clever writing, into something that could have been quite amusing and clever, especially as a send-up of some of those heartwarming uh, films about dogs. Instead, the filmmakers have decided to grab the audience and throw as much um, uh, crap at them as possible. And I must say, I, I was not impressed one iota by this film. I was cringing through most of it, and I was wondering how much further they're going to go with these, as you said, dick jokes and uh, and uh, and other uh, defecations and other things. In fact, the whole script is a defecation. And look, I was uh, it's just it's just absolutely awful, uh, and I. It almost made me want to go and see Gran Turismo again. That's how bad this film was. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, indeed. Okay. Uh, so you, you, you've got, got off to a really flying start today. There's, there's, there's going to be two failures in your, your, your box of tricks. Uh, okay. Now, Greg, did you find something a little bit more enjoyable about Strays? This is quite silly, juvenile and crude, but I rather enjoyed this potty mouth comedy about dogs behaving badly. There's plenty of gross out humour here. I, I thought some of the great visual gags were quite funny as well, and some of the dialogue was actually laugh out funny. Um, but it does become a bit repetitive, and it is a bit overly long. Um, the simple premise um, has been packed out with plenty of ribald humour, as the four dogs swear a lot. Now, I love good dog animal films as well. This is certainly not a Disney film about dogs on an incredible journey. In fact, it's not a film for kids at all. Um, but I like some of the adventures there, you know, that some of the antics they got up to, humping garden gnomes, urinating on each other to call themselves PFS. Um, yes, the escape from the dog pound, eating magic mushrooms, I thought some of them were quite amusing. Uh, and I liked some the um, vocal cast that's been put together for the film, but Jamie Foxx was clearly the standout as a foul-mouthed bug there. And Dennis Quaid contributed a brief self-effacing cameo there. Um, so I quite liked this. And I thought Forte, Will Forte, did a good job of making Doug a very loathsome character. Uh, didn't like him at all, um, but that was the role he played. And um, I thought, um, what's his name? Reggie was quite a, a cute little dog. 
um, as he learned the ways of the street, how to survive on the streets, and the life of living free as a stray. Did you like Alex at all? Did you like the ending? You know where they. Uh... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, a lot of people left the cinema by then, so they wouldn't have seen the ending. Now, did you like the ending? Yes, I did. I thought it was quite funny. But as I said, a lot of people actually walked out left when the credits were on, and they missed it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I noticed a lot of people actually walked out during the film, too. Yeah, yeah. well, yes. Look, this is going to be... I, I said it's hit and miss in terms of some of the scripting, etc. I think it's hit and miss in terms of the audience, but the, there's certainly going to be an audience for it. I don't doubt that at all because this is, I mean, the, the genre that we're talking about here is a notable, I mean, think about anything like bridesmaids taking a dump in Main Street and things of that nature. But this guy, I'm just trying to think, um, the, the makers of this or the producers of this were responsible for a couple of other movies of, of similar ilk, weren't they? I'm Ted, just, Ted is one of them. Ted, that was the one I was thinking of, yeah. Ted, which which is about this, this teddy bear, right? And root. Yeah, cocaine bears. Yeah, and cocaine bear, exactly. Now, okay, so good. One yes, one no, and um, I'm kind of in the middle there. Jackie, did you well, like? I thought I would. I expected. I was almost not going to go to see this film after having seen the trailer because I expected to react to it like as Peter has. Um, however. I'm a little bit more towards the way that Greg ended up. Wow. I thought it would be absolutely horrible, but it was everything you said. Crude, rude, disgusting, foul. But I also got laughs from it. And I didn't mind the story. of it. It's actually, even though it's very wicked, it is um, it is actually a buddy road trip um, of an innocent abroad. And um, it's, it's also a revenge film because... Um, I think you said he was, uh, Re little Reggie was very keen to reunite with his owner. He wasn't actually. He was going back, he was talked into going back for this um, no, revenge no, no, at the end. I, I disagree. Initially, even though the. Oh, initially, yes. But then yeah. he got talked into going back with this revenge idea in mind that ends up with the resulting um, climax, shall we say. But I found. Uh, and this is why it's episodic, uh, you know, Alec, um, Alex. It's 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 a road trip, and as you're travelling along the road to a destination, you'll meet up with some uh, other characters, such as the police dogs, or an event, or see something such as the mushrooms, and that will cause. That's why it feels like chapters unfolding along the way. I didn't mind that at all, and I found a lot of uh, moments of, you know, quite heartfelt. Um, the, um, you know, heartfelt moments through through the film, although, it's, it, you know, it did get pretty violent. And, yes, I certainly wouldn't recommend it to um, children of any age. And I did feel my IQ drop during the <laughs> film. That's fine. Um, <laughs> especially since I realised I was actually laughing out loud at some of the jokes. Um, so I was a bit embarrassed. You, I, you I could, didn't you let anyone uh, Do you reckon yeah. that you had a, had a girlfriend next to you who was really enjoying herself? Right. That's exactly what it, that's exactly a part of it for me. I took a friend. In fact, the, the reason I ended up deciding really to go was because I have a friend who does enjoy that kind of humor and I thought it would cheer her up and be good for her. And you know what? At the end of the film, I said to her, well, what did you think? And I did hear her laugh out loud during the film. And I said at the end, what did you think of that? And she said, she judges a film by how she feels 
herself at the end of the film. So she's not judging production values or how good the acting was or anything like that. And by the way, I thought the voices in 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 um, Strays was great. Uh, but my friend said, I, I, I judge it by how I feel at the end of the film. And she gave it 10 out of 10. That's a little excessive, but she was feeling good. She had a good night out. So that's lovely too. Yeah, isn't no, it? I mean, if we're judging... Uh, it's funny because I used to judge films on various by various criteria. One was yep. like clock time, you know, like how how many times do I look at my my timepiece kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, if if you're judging a film on feel, that's that's certainly a legitimate way of doing so. But um, I, I want to start by labelling this, Peter. What are you going to give this magnificent film, Straight? <laughs> the Gran Turismo of dog films. Uh, look. Uh... Look, I think uh, Ted, uh, I much preferred Ted. That was, uh, I thought that was more interesting and, and much better written. Anyway, uh, Strays, I give four out of ten. Okay, four out of ten. Well, okay, so we'll we'll move up the totem pole. Uh, I, I'm going to give it a six out of ten. Greg? Um, six out of ten. And Jackie? Okay, so Strays, that I've given the alternate title, um, I've given it an alternate title, for the pun, smut. Yeah. Like that? Uh, yeah, no, that's, that'll, that'll smut. Smut. Okay, yeah. sorry. I thought it was hilarious. And I, it is, got that. Sorry, sorry. It just proves we have different sense of humour. It proves it's humorous in the eye of the beholder, Jackie, yes. Okay, that's yes. the equivalent of Greg's dad jokes. Yes, go for it. Yep, that's right. Well, it won't go down as a classic, but I did give strays almost a six, but not for children. What's an almost a six? Is it five? Oh, it's almost a six. That's what it is. Is it five and seven eighths? Is it or something? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Fantastic. I'm Jay Air. That was Jackie Hamilton's insightful review of <laughs> of smuts or something. Well, whatever she called it. Uh, for everybody for everybody else, it's um, strays. Now, let's go from the sublime to the ridiculous. No, from the ridiculous to the sublime. Let's go to a movie that is just quite special with regards to a number of elements, but it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. It's very much an art house film, and it's called Godland. It runs for 2 hours and 13 minutes, and it's rated M. And it's just got mesmerising cinematography, breathtaking vistas. It's quite a dramatic period piece in which man and nature collide. Set in the late 19th century, when Iceland was under Danish rule, an actor called Elliot Crossed Hove plays Lucas. He's a young, ambitious Danish priest charged with travelling to a remote part of Iceland to build a church and to favour up its people. And he's got a superior, played by Wagat Sando, who warns him that due to the harsh climate, the church must be built before winter sets in. It's a film about inner and outer conflicts and soon becomes clear that Lucas has bitten off more than he can chew. To get to where he's heading requires slow progress on horseback across spectacular but dangerous terrain, which is littered with glaciers and rivers. There to guide him is this rugged and hardy older guide called Ragnar, played by Ingvar Ea Sugerson, along with a translator and a small crew. They're carrying cumbersome camera equipment and a heavy cross, and that proves rather challenging. The obstacles, well, they're many, and Lucas's push-on mentality has tragic consequences. He and Ragnar don't see eye to eye. In fact, the clergyman is overwhelmed, and he resents the guide. 
Rescued from death's door, Lucas is taken in by a Danish widower called Carl, played by Jacob Halberg Lohmann. He's taken in by Carl and his two daughters. Then I, I want to talk a little bit about the daughters. Anna, played by Vic Carmen Sonner, and Ida, Ida Mecken Ilsader, warm to him. But not so the father, not so Carl. More trials and clashes follow for this young and ambitious Danish priest, Lucas. So while I was watching and admiring this art house picture, I was reminded of a movie I saw many times when I was studying film at uni. And it was one of, it, it just left such a lasting impression on me. It was Werner Herzog's Aguirre, The Wrath of God. I'm sure, Peter, you've seen that one, yeah? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I must have seen it five or six times um, in, in quick succession because we were, we were studying elements of it. Look, that had a really significant and positive influence on me. Uh, it was quite—it's quite a movie. If, if you haven't seen it, it's well worth catching. Uh, Godland also casts quite a large shadow. Work of a filmmaker called Hilnur Palmerson. Uh, he did a White White Day. Uh, it's a story about losing one's identity. I'd say arguably religion's on trial here, and it does not fare well. On one level, the harsh terrain sits comfortably alongside the natural beauty that's inherent within it. But on another, tolerance, understanding, and respect are sorely tested. Elliot Crossett Hove plays the role of Lucas as humorless and overwrought. He makes the man of the cloth unlikable, which again, that's that's quite something. In a contrasting role, though, Ingvar E. Sigerson is is about brawn. He's an outdoorsman who's in tune with nature and all of what nature throws up. And it's difficult to understand what Anna sees in in the clergyman Lucas, other than a way out of a routine and colourless life. She was born in Denmark and she longs to go back there. She's the older daughter of Carl who you know, uh, invites Lucas to, uh, you know, to basically saves, saves him. Vic Cummins' Sonna brings a measure of duty and warmth to her characterisation and there's a youthful exuberance about Ida Mecken Hilstodier as her younger sister. Jacob Hauberg Lohmann rather principled, not to be crossed as, as the father. And Maria von Auswald's cinematography, I thought that was luminous. It was shot on 35mm film, and, and the film itself is square with rounded corners. And it's got quite an arresting score as well, that the music was really important in this. Inspired, by the way, the film Godlang by seven photographs that were actually taken by a Danish priest, which were thought to be the first visual images of Iceland's southeastern coast. It's quite beautiful, Godland, but it's also quite brutal. So that contrast is there. Emotionally fraught, to his credit, I mean, that's the movie, um, I just thought that the filmmaker makes us think and feel, and, and that's what Godland was all about for me. I, I thought it was a very strong film, but it's going to be of limited appeal. Jackie, have you seen it or not? Um, Alex, it's a very, very long film, and I couldn't commit to that time. Uh, but I wondered if it um, reminded you at all of Silence, the Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield film, at least yeah, in the storyline. Yeah, yeah there, there was that. This is this is less less mainstream, but yes, it yes it do, does have. Oh, a, you thought Silence was mainstream? No, but this is really esoteric. This one, uh, more okay. so, right? But but it, yes, yeah, it certainly it's a it's a good parallel that you uh, you draw. Peter, Godland. 
Yes, uh, this has already entered on my list of uh, one of the best films of the year. I was so impressed by this film, which which really investigates the, the notion of colonial invasion and of uh, religious invasion of uh, another country, even though uh, Denmark was sort of looking after Iceland at the time. Uh, I think the, the way the film is shot is superb. It's shot in Academy ratio for a reason, and that's because of the photos that uh, the priest takes, and it sort of mimics the idea of uh, how this uh, this country, this uh, uh, the priesthood, uh, the um, religious organization is so keen to uh, invade, if you like to put it that way, that uh, area of Iceland and to um, imbue uh, the Icelandic people with the culture that they are meant to have. Obviously, no good can come of this, and that's what uh, happened mm. as, as the film developed. Beautifully shot, really well acted, and it, it just uh, drew me in so much in terms of the storyline, in terms of the issues that the film um, delves into without being too obvious and explicit, and of the harsh environment, and it, it is so well shot. The two daughters uh, I found very interesting because they represent two different aspects of the way Icelandic people responded to Denmark and uh, and how it was uh, treating uh, people and how religion was so important to people at the time and yet was also divisive and to some extent quite ruinous for some people. Very, very impressive film. I highly recommend it. I urge people to go and see Godland. And what I loved in particular is that the film has two titles, both called Godland, one in Danish, one in Icelandic, to uh, to give you the idea that here are two countries trying to get together, not in a very effective sort of way. Mm. Uh, would you agree, though, this is going to be a small audience film? Just be aware... It's not going to suit everybody's taste, as I've said a few times. Yes, but again, I always argue, so what? I mean, every film no, no, is no, no, to but, appeal to everyone. No, but what I'm saying, it's, it is slow moving, and ultimately that there are going to be people who say, no, look, it, it just doesn't suit my style. And I think it's important that we don't just say it's a great movie and everybody's going to love it, and then people go along under a misnomer. That's the reason I mention it. Isn't that, isn't that important? Well, to some extent, yes, you've got to keep audience in mind, but you also have to be true to yourself in terms of the way you review a film. And I, I have very distinct parameters in terms of the way I, I view films, in terms of writing and so on. And if, if people don't uh, want to go and see the film based on my view, that's perfectly fine. Or if they do, uh, you, or everyone always has to make up their own mind. Yeah, I understand. What about you, Greg? What did you think of Godland? Well, Jackie mentioned um, those couple of films there. I also thought a little bit of Roland Joffe's The Mission with Robert De Niro and Jeremy mm. Irons as these two priests in the, um, I think it was South American wilderness somewhere as well. I, it evoked memories of that to me, but I, I thought this was a deliberately slow and leisurely film there, um, and it might be suited to everybody's taste there. In fact, I like the first half hour, or the first part of it more so when he, the priest is tracking through this harsh wilderness, which was beautifully shot there, I thought, by Maria von Halswolf there. The second half of the film, sort of, yeah, it seems of colonialism and religion, which Peter referred to, uh, left me a little bit cold, the second half of the film, especially as the priest undergoes um, a crisis of religious faith and everything. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought 
143 minutes. The pace does drag a little bit, but it is beautifully shot. It's got some striking imagery, and it looks beautiful there. But, yeah, I, I just sort of found um, halfway through the film, uh, yeah, uh, I just wondered where it's heading, when is it going to end? Ah, oh, okay. Well, so what... Well, let's start with you then. What score are you going to give Godland, which runs for 2 hours and 13 minutes and is rated M? Well, I eventually ended up giving it 6 because it was beautifully shot and very cinematic. But, yeah, it is um, a bit of a slog. Mm. Okay, I'm giving it an 8 out of 10. And I dare say that, Peter, you're going to be the high, high ball here. Uh, definitely. It's interesting, Greg, you mentioned the mission because the mission was very commercialised and uh, yeah. uh, and used music elaborately to highlight emotion, whereas this film, uh, Godland, uh, doesn't use much music at all. It's more about uh, what you experience and visualise and so on. Anyway, I, I loved uh, Godland, 9 out of 10. Mm, wow. Okay. Now, I wanted to, we've got limited time left, but I wanted to talk about a couple of plays that I've seen if I get the opportunity. So let me at least start with one that I saw. It's it's interesting because it's a first-time collaboration between Tuia Suta and Bella Moretto. And unfortunately, you won't get the opportunity to see this, but I want you to remember those names because I dare say they're going to be making some good theatrical productions in the future. This ran for, I think, four days or so at the MC showroom in Paran. It's called Powder Room. Tuia Suta, T-U-I-A, and Bella Moretto. And the girls are out for a night on the tiles at a club. But not all's going according to plan. In fact, there's no shortage of sad and mad faces amidst the snorting and vomiting in the ladies' toilets where the action takes place. Like uh, very much so, yes. Exactly. There's four filthy cubicles, right? That, that and they're full. Tiff, played by Amelia Nemet, is inconsolable after she caught out her long-term boyfriend Josh, played by Zephyrin Zardwa, or Yardwa rather, getting it on with another woman. And a hilarious scene early on sums up the former's precarious state. Zan, played by Luce Witherson, is a, is gay. She's got the hots for a confident lady who doesn't know she exists. Jamie, Amelia Dunn, has her head in a bowl and in between chucks calls out Tiff to grow a pair, so to speak. Scarlett, as Kenworthy, is ropeable that her best friend appears to have stood her up when they were going to do lines together. Wearing Sonny's piper, Desi Boyle enters the fray late in the piece with three golden tips, starting with a perfect environment to pee. Now, without angling for it, she finds herself drawn into Scarlett's self-centred world. Powder Room actually takes place over just a single night as friendships are forged and broken and homespun wisdom is imparted. It's, and it's the work of the writers and directors Tui Suter and Bella Moretto marking their first collaborative theatrical production. Comedic drama, it, it's fun, it's entertaining, it's provocative. Personas are really well crafted. The actors, individually and collectively, are forever putting their best foot forward to generate laughs. And perhaps it's their youth... Yeah, but many of the characters actually don't seem to have the tools to handle their respective circumstances. Arguably, those that grow the most during the course of proceedings are Tiff and Zan, and I really appreciated uh, Amelia Nemet's realisation of the former. Actually, all the performers, though, have their moments. Colourful, graffiti-strewn washroom is a triumphant setting. I, I You enter the theatre and you think, wow, you know, and that doesn't often happen like this, but it does with this particular production of Powder Room. 
it, it was most appropriate to the narrative arc. Madison Stevens, Ash Donovan, Adam Smith are the ones responsible. So Walk on the Wild Side, it's a bit of a hoot. It's been well composed and executed. Should hold particular appeal to younger millennials and older members of Generation Z or Z. 55 minutes, it, it was playing at the MC showroom, finished yesterday. But um, I, I really, you know, I was impressed by the endeavours of Tuia Suta and Bella Moretto. So, I mean, I, I like it when I'm seeing something that, you know, I haven't seen before or some 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 newbies come onto the scene. And it was a really interesting, it was a quite a full audience. I saw it on Friday night and it was a, that really aided the cause because there was a lot of laughter in the room and, and so on. And unlike Strays, there weren't flat patches, which I appreciated. I thought it was sustained throughout. Uh, and the running time was good too, you know, under an hour, you get in, you get out, and you you, you know you you feeling in a good mood afterwards, which is Jackie exactly what you were saying about your girlfriend having seen Strays, and that can elevate your. Uh, do, do you think your review of Strays was positively influenced by your girlfriend? Mm, yes, I think I I just don't know that it couldn't be because in inevitably you're talking about it, and it's you know even if you thought ah oh, well ho hum well maybe I'll elevate it at least a little bit. It's kind of like uh, yeah, a little bit, Alex. But I did genuinely laugh out loud at some of the humour, and oh. cringe at some, and yeah. gasp at other parts. But that, <laughs> but that's the nature. That that's the nature of these sorts of movies, isn't it? Stray Stray sets out to um, to provide. It wasn't breaking new ground, and it won't be a classic. Put it like no. that. It won't be a classic. No, no. Um. By the way, you say to me during the week, Barbie's still going strong and so many so many uh, uh, uh what is it seated arrangements at cinemas that there's still lots of screenings etc correct oh, i was having a chat yesterday i saw two films at lido yep go lido cinemas in hawthorne and i was having a chat to an usher afterwards who said he it's still packing them out really isn't that great i think they have about eight sessions a day still fantastic all right, folks, good to have you with us. Jackie Hamilton, thank you. Peter Krause, a pleasure. Gregory King and yours truly. Catch you next week on First on Film and Entertainment.